0: Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. If you'd like more content like this, visit us on our website at www.surechurch.com. The following sermon was preached on May sixteenth, twenty twenty-one, on the basis of Luke chapter twenty-four, verses forty-four to fifty-three. And mercy and peace are yours through our ascended Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to start this sermon just a little differently than we've started sermons in the past. Instead of starting at the the very beginning of our reading, we're going to start at the end. We're going to read the last four verses of Luke chapter 24. You can find it on page 11 in your worship folder, um, and you'll, you'll see the text in full there. We're going to start at verse 50 and we're going to go to verse 53. These are the four uh, verses of the entire book of Luke. So Luke concludes his, ver- his book by saying, "When he, talking about Jesus, had led them, the disciples, out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped Him and returning to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple. Praising God. This is God's word. So let's unpack this scene just so we're clear about what we're looking at here. First it says that Jesus and his disciples were near Bethany. Now we've heard Bethany before. The disciples were were familiar with Bethany. Bethany is the city where, where Mary and Martha lived and their brother Lazarus. You might recall Lazarus' name because Bethany was also the place where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Bethany was also the place where, where Jesus was dining in Simon the leper's house. And this woman comes to him and anoints his head with, with expensive perfume. And this was just before Holy Week. He said he, he was being anointed unto his, his death there. Bethany was where Jesus and his disciples stayed during Holy Week, and they would travel into Jerusalem, which, which wasn't that far away from there. So, so we're familiar with Bethany. We've heard of Bethany before. The disciples are very familiar with, with Bethany, as was Jesus. It says that this is in the vicinity of Bethany. And in, uh, in other accounts, and traditionally speaking, uh, they think that Jesus ascended on the Mount of Olives, which was in the vicinity of Bethany, also a place where Jesus and his disciples were were very familiar with. In the Acts account, we heard that that Jesus talked with the disciples a little bit before he he was going up into heaven. He didn't just walk out silently to the Mount of Olives and and then ascend there. Uh, Luke seems to summarize in this section here and doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus said to the disciples, but it says he, he blesses them. Now, now, you can picture a blessing similar to, to how we do the blessing at the end of the service. So I, I'll, I'll raise my hands like this and say, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. It's a blessing that goes all the way back to the Old Testament times. This was a blessing that Aaron used to give to the Israelites. He would say these very words. And, and the act of blessing was the putting of the Lord's name on his people. And that's why the hands are up, right? This is conferring the blessing on the people, that the Lord's name is on you. You belong to the Lord and the Lord is, is in you. So, so Jesus blesses the disciples and then he is taken up into heaven. Now, now it doesn't appear from the words that, that he just disappeared immediately. It seems like he was taken up slowly into view as they watched and they're looking up into the sky and all of a sudden, a cloud hides him from their, their view. Now, all of this is a pretty amazing scene, right? It's, it's kind of cool to, to, for us to picture that happening, But perhaps the most surprising thing in this section was at the very end. It says, "The disciples worshipped him, and then they returned to Jerusalem with great joy." Why? Didn't Jesus just leave? How is that a good thing? (laughs) And yet, they worship him, they return to Jerusalem with great joy, and they praise him continually in the temple. You likely have read a book or watched a movie or seen a TV show where it's kind of like this, (laughs) where you get the end scene first. Can you picture that? The first scene of the movie is is the end here. And then as it transitions, you maybe didn't know that at the time, but as it transitions to the next scene, on the bottom in words, it'll say something like three years prior or three days prior. And the premise is that we're going to start with the end. We're going to show you how this ends. But the bulk of the story is going to be going back and showing you how we got there. (laughs) We're going to do the same thing this morning. Now you've seen the end. You've seen that the disciples went back to the temple and are praising God continually in the temple after Jesus ascended into heaven, but 44 days prior, things were quite a bit different. 44 days prior to to Jesus ascending into heaven, Jesus left the disciples again, but he wasn't ascending into heaven at that time. When Jesus left that time, he wasn't ascending, he was being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane which, incidentally, is on the, the Mount of Olives, too. This event sparked all of the events that followed in the, in the next day and a half or, or so where Jesus would end up being nailed to a cross and dying there. So when you think about the first time that Jesus left the disciples, uh, the disciples were not feeling the same way <laughs> that, that, Jesus, that they felt when Jesus ascended into heaven. They felt quite the opposite. They were not happy about Jesus leaving the first time. They were sad and they were scared. Most of them ran away in the Garden of Gethsemane for fear that they were going to be the next ones arrested. And that fear carried them all the way through the weekend. We see the disciples next cowering in a locked room for fear that the Jewish leaders and the Roman officials were going to put them on a cross next. (laughs) This is unbelievable to the disciples. Chaos is swirling. They thought Jesus was in control of all things. They thought Jesus was God. And yet now chaos seemed to be reigning as king. Jesus had lost control of things that were going on. Or so it seemed. Why would anybody let themselves face this punishment on purpose? In, in the disciples' lives, in the disciples' minds, chaos was reigning. Perhaps we can relate a, a little bit. We can look at, at the world around us and we can see major chaos. We can see major instability. And we step back and we wonder, is anybody really in control of what's going on here? And it's not just out there either. It's not just on the news. It's in my own personal life too. Chaos and instability seem to be reigning. Chaos and instability seem to be reigning in my own heart. And it doesn't seem like any of this is happening for any apparent reason. It doesn't seem like any of this is happening for any good. And sometimes it seems like this is inescapable. If Jesus truly is reigning, As king. Shouldn't things look a little differently than they do now? Jesus said that he is with me. But is he? You kind of think the disciples probably had some similar thoughts. As they're going through the events of Holy Week. As they're going through when Jesus was arrested and Jesus was put on trial and Jesus is on the cross. All kinds of emotions are filling the hearts of the disciples. They are sad, they are are scared, they are confused, they they have no idea what is going on, and it doesn't seem like anybody is in control of anything, much less Jesus. Yet, while all of this chaos seems to be going on, while all of this fear and trepidation uh, occurs in the disciples' hearts, while all that's happening, God's ancient promises still stood strong. God's ancient prophecies were still there, clearly, for the disciples. In the law of Moses, when we talk about the law of Moses. This is another way to say the teachings of Moses, right? And maybe we don't think about it often, but Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So including Genesis there. In the law of Moses, Moses wrote the very first promise of the Savior. One we talked about quite, quite often here at Sure Foundation. Genesis 3:15, right after the fall into sin, God is speaking to the serpent, speaking words of punishment. He promises the Savior for the first time. He says, "I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel." The offspring of the woman would crush the head of the devil, but the offspring of the woman would not get out unscathed. His heel would be struck. So as Jesus is mocked and beaten and nailed to a cross, crucified, his heel was struck. But that didn't compare to the, to the death blow that Jesus delivered to the devil as he crushed his head by dying on the cross. While all the chaos was going on in the disciples' hearts and, and actually the events that, that played out there, and they didn't think anything was, was under the control of Jesus, This ancient promise of God stood. The law of Moses wasn't the only place. The Psalms was another place. Psalm 22, we we actually read this on Maundy Thursday. It was the last thing that we read. It was our introduction into Good Friday. There's there's three parts of this psalm that, that are particularly compelling here. The very first verse of Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if I didn't tell you that that was a psalm, you would have thought, man, aren't you just quoting Jesus' words to us here? Because Jesus said those exact words from the cross, fulfilling exactly what the psalm was prophesying about. And if that weren't enough for Psalm 22, in verses 7 and 8, the psalmist writes this, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Those words kind of sound familiar too, don't they? There was the the criminal on one side of Jesus that that Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. But but the other criminal on the other side said those very words, If you truly are the Son of God, bring yourself down from there and bring us down too. He was mocking Jesus. Psalm 22, again, says this in, in verse 18, They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. The this, this very thing that Jesus witnessed before his very eyes is, is promised in the psalm. So, so as chaos seems to be reigning, as the disciples are unsure if anybody is in control, God's ancient promises, God's ancient prophecies still stood. same is true in the, in the prophets. In Isaiah 53, we could read the whole thing and, and get every connection to, to Jesus' passion there. But we'll just read two verses. Verse 5 says, Of Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus' hands and feet were pierced through with nails. In his death, his side was pierced with a spear, so that by his wounds we would be healed. Isaiah 53, verse 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death. Jesus died the death of a wicked man, although he was not wicked. He died a criminal's death. That's what crucifixion was. Yet he was buried in a rich man's grave, Joseph of Arimathea. While the chaos was swirling around in in this passion history of Jesus as it's recorded, as, as the disciples think that everything is out of God's control, God's ancient promises stood firm in the Law of Moses, in the Prophets, and in the Psalms. Let's go back to the beginning part of Luke 24 and read Jesus' words to the disciples here, starting at verse 44. Jesus said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds So they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, This is what is written The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is God's Word. Look at Jesus' words carefully here. He says, Everything must be fulfilled that is written about who? About me. Jesus is saying, All of these ancient promises scattered throughout the Old Testament, these were all written about me. (laughs) And I fulfilled every single one of them, down to the most minute detail. So while you, disciples, We're thinking that everything was swirling out of control, that that God wasn't in control of what was going on. Even though it appeared that way to you, Uh, I was fulfilling every last detail of this prophecy. Everything was always under the control of God the Father and Jesus his Son. Doesn't it show you how patient our God is with us that he can say the same thing in different ways in the Old Testament, again and again and again. And then while he is here on earth, he can say the same thing again and again and again, and we still have difficulty, just like the disciples with this. Yet what, what does Jesus do? He lovingly tells us again. The disciples he needed to tell yet, yet another time. Because in John 20, verse 9, it even says, even after the resurrection, it says this about the disciples. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. After all they knew from Scripture, and the disciples knew Scripture pretty well, after all they had experienced, they, they still didn't cl- it didn't, still didn't click for them. The puzzle pieces didn't seem to fit together. And the same can be true for us too, right? Uh, chaos and instability make up our, our world. It seems like God is not in control, and if he is, how could these things be happening? Yet, the ascension means that he is in control. The ascension means that he has fulfilled every single one of his his promises. All the promises that God has made in the Old Testament have been fulfilled in Jesus. He, He has not left one unfulfilled. His ascension means that he has ascended to the right hand of God which I've already said today that this is not a physical location, but a position of power and a position of honor. And Jesus intends to use his power for you. He intends to use his power to fulfill his promises to you. He has ascended to the right hand of God so that he can be with you always to the very end of the age. He he intends to use his position of power, sitting at the right hand of God, to intercede with the Father on your behalf. He intends to use his power to rule graciously over everything. He intends to use his power to forgive you and to keep his his promises. Knowing this, you can understand why the disciples were happy. This time, chaos wasn't reigning. Jesus leaving was not a bad thing. He needed to leave. He needed to ascend so that one day he could come back. And they knew because Jesus ascended, he fulfilled all of his promises. I know in South Dakota that you can get your driver's license as soon as 14 years old. That was kind of a shock to me when we moved here. In Wisconsin, you can, you can get your learner's permit at 15 and a half, which means you can drive with your parents in the car. Um, I was very excited to, to drive for the first time. Um, and so it was on the day, when I turned 15 and a half, on the day, I made my dad take me to the DMV to get my, my learner's permit. This happened to be in the middle of, of February, so there's kind of, there some snow on the ground. At the time. And so we got the permit, and I was, I was very excited to drive, and he let, he let me uh, drive back to, to school that day. And so everything was, was going pretty well um, until we got to a stoplight that had been there for all 15 and a half years of my life. Um, there was a little snow on the ground, and, and as, as I was talking to my dad, and, and the excitement was, was kind of getting the best of me in, in that moment, uh, I didn't see the light until it was too late. And I hit the brakes and, and slid a little bit, but I wasn't going to make the stop. <laughs> we slid right through that, that red light, not two minutes after I had taken my, my seat in the driver's seat. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> um, I, I was so excited for that day because you, rem, you maybe remember that feeling. You, you had grown up and you, you rode in the car with your parents, all the years before that, right? Now you finally got to take the driver's seat. Now you actually got to drive for yourself. There's a sense of freedom there. But there's also a sense of responsibility too, right? Running through that, that stoplight, I, I was responsible for my safety, for my dad's safety, and for the safety of other people on the road. And I, and I put them in danger in that moment. There was great freedom, but also great responsibility that comes with that too. The disciples are in a similar situation. They have great freedom now, but great responsibility. They are about to sit into the driver's seat of, of ministry. Jesus is ascending into heaven, and he is leaving them with a task. Now, you would think that they would be scared about this task that lay ahead of them because it was a big task. You caught what Jesus said there. He said, you are to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. These 12 disciples to to all nations, starting in Jerusalem and going out from there. You are to be his witnesses. This is something that I've noticed in the last two or three years. I don't know if you pay attention to, to things like this, but in conversations, i I like to pay attention to how people introduce themselves or describe themselves. And one thing that that I've noticed is that people tend to describe themselves based on what gives them purpose in life. Maybe it's not the highest purpose. You don't always say the number one thing, right? But but it probably falls into the the top five. Let let me tell you what I mean. If someone were to ask you who you are, you know, aside from your, your name, if someone were to ask you what you do, uh, you're not going to respond by saying, I'm a sleeper. (laughs) I love to sleep. Or I am an eater. I I just love to go out to eat. You do those things, right? (laughs) But that's not how you would describe yourself to somebody else. That's not what gives you purpose in life. A, A lot of times, we describe ourselves by our vocation or our former vocation. Uh, I'm, I'm an accountant or, or I'm a nurse. This, this defines a purpose that I have in my life. It could be describing a, a family relationship that you have. I'm a mother or I'm an uncle. This gives you, you purpose in life. Jesus says rather, rather matter-of-factly to the disciples, you are witnesses. He doesn't say this is just what you are going to do. He says, this is identity language here, right? This is who you are. You are a witness. And so through faith in your ascended Lord, you too are witnesses. This isn't just what you do. This is who you are. It's woven into your very DNA. You are witnesses of the forgiveness that Jesus has given to you. You know how much you've been forgiven and you want other people to know that, too. That's a part of of who you are. It's a part of your identity. You are witnesses to the death of Jesus and what that did for the entire world, that their sins are forgiven. You are witnesses to, to the resurrection and the victory that he won in the resurrection. This life is not all there is, but there is a life to come. You are his witness. You can understand why the disciples were happy. Because the ascension means that Jesus has fulfilled all of his promises and it means he will continue to fulfill all of his promises to you. You can understand why the disciples were happy. Because Jesus had lifted them to a higher purpose in life. They were witnesses. And so are you. And Jesus promises to give one more thing. But we'll talk about that next week. Amen.